now. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete, here's Sal Licata. I got a lot I got to get off my chest here. We're one day into the season and I'm already aggravated. I mean, what is wrong with Major League Baseball? Between the replay, which is ridiculous, and uh, I got to fill you in because I'm sure you haven't uh, been paying attention to it, but uh, this afternoon in a game that I believe is still going on, let me check my newly downloaded MLB.com at bat app, and the Pirates and the Tigers were playing a game that was going into extra innings tied at 10 apiece. Uh, it is mid-12th, uh, middle of the 12th, tw- uh, 10 apiece in Detroit between the Buckos and the Tigers. And in the bottom of the ninth, I believe it was, I should confirm the inning that it happened, there was a what appeared to be a game-winning RBI base hit. And, you know, of course the fans in Detroit going nuts, the players are celebrating, everybody's happy, the umpire called the runner safe at home, uh, Castellanos uh, was safe at home, and of course what do they do? They go to replay. And after five minutes of review, they rule that, and by the way, if you watch the highlight, and do yourself a favor and go seek it out, if you watch the highlight, you can't tell if he was safe or out. It was, at the very least, inconclusive. The original call on the field safe. Game over. Tigers win. Five minutes later. I mean, I'm watching the clip. The clip is five minutes long here. Supposed to be highlight clips. Five minutes. They come back and rule that he was tagged out. Based on what, I have no idea. Major League Baseball releases a statement saying that it was definitive. I There's no way any human can watch this, or animal for that matter. You don't even have to be human. You watch this replay, there's no way you can tell me it's conclusive. So what happens now, whether you're on, you agree with the call or not, think about how that ruins the sport. You pay money to go watch your Tigers on opening day. You get excited for the happening with the base hit. You think the game is over. You go nuts. You sit around for five minutes and have to wait before they replay tells you, which was an inconclusive replay, and they tell you that the game is still on, that the runner was, in fact, out, and the game continues. And even if it happened the opposite way, say they called him out at the time, which may have been even worse. Although the result, I guess, for Tiger fans would have been better. But let's say in the moment you're watching the game, they call him out at the plate. And they go to replay. Hold on. Ron Gardner is challenging. Which, by the way, Gardner, his first game as Tiger's manager, gets kicked out because he went uh, nuts on the umps after this call. And you're not allowed to argue a replay call because the umps, in fact, didn't make that decision. It was back in New York. But let's say he was ruled out. Gardner challenges. They go to the review. Hey, safe! Tigers win! Well, how the hell are you supposed to celebrate that? It is... Replay is killing sports. Enough! Especially Major League Baseball. It, for whatever reason, it plays in football. The way the sport is, it's a TV sport anyway. The... Breaks in between the action. I, the, to me, whatever it is about the, the game of football, maybe it's because it's been there longer. I don't know. 
But even replay sometimes in football can get nauseating. I mean, when you start breaking down frame by frame, did the ball actually touch the ground first? Did he have two hands underneath it? The, the spirit of replay has just gotten so far-fetched, it's absurd. But at least in football, it works. In the NBA, it ruins, it, it kills the sport. It's just so stupid, the final two minutes. As if the final two minutes mean more than the first two minutes of the game. I, I know you think it does, but it doesn't. A basket is a basket. A possession is a possession. Or what about the final two minutes and five seconds? So if something happens in the final two minutes and five seconds, in those five seconds before the two-minute mark, that's less important than the actual final two minutes? Come on. It, it, the whole thing is so stupid. And in baseball, it is even worse. And it is only going to get worse until the numbskulls who are running things decide to make a change for the better. Let the sport play out. You get wrong calls, it's part of life. Okay, Nothing is perfect. And while we're on the topic, the DH rule, I've had enough of this. I have had enough of it. It has taken one day in the Major League Baseball season for me to realize how ridiculous it is with the advantage that the American League has with the DH. And I look no no further than the New York Yankees and how they're able to build a team because of the DH, the luxury of the DH spot. It's not just the Yankees, it's every American League team, but we're in New York and that's where we're focused on. And the Yankees were able to make a trade for the reigning National League MVP because they have the luxury of a DH spot. Aaron Hicks gets hurt. I don't know if you heard the news. Strained oblique or whatever it is for him. 10-day DL for now. So he is pulled. They bring up McKinney, Billy McKinney, who will start in left field tonight. Gardner moves to center field, Aaron Judge in right, and guess who's DHing again? John Carlos Stanton. So you don't have to put Stanton in left field, which would have been intriguing because he's not a left fielder. He's a butcher out there. He's a right fielder, which would make you think, well, how the heck can you add? I don't care who the player is. You added, you have an MVP right fielder on your team already. How can you add another one? How can you add another guy who can't play another position other than right field? You're going to move guys around? Why would you do that? Well, guess what? The Yankees could do it because Stan doesn't have to play the field. He can be DH. And we're sitting here with the Mets worried about what they're going to do with Nimmo and Jay Bruce when Michael Conforto comes back. Is there interleague play? Oh, there is? Okay. So how then, if you have interleague play all the time, how can you have one league with 15 teams that can make a team better and build a team easier than the other half of the league? It is not fair. It's very simple. You are able to take on an additional player. You are able to rest players. You are able to, and I say take on an additional player, meaning that you could build your team you know, you're, instead of just filling eight positions, you could bring in another position player that you know is going to get to hit. That's what I mean. I, I know the rosters have the same amount. You get to rest players. You can, uh, you know, uh, let's look at the Mets, for example. Yoannis Cespedes. You don't think they'd like to DH him half the time? Keep his legs healthy? But the Yankees get to do that with Gary Sanchez. How is that fair? Look no further than the teams in New York. And maybe this isn't a bigger deal in other cities because they don't have two teams. 
It is ridiculous that the Yankees have that advantage, that any American League team has that advantage over the National League teams, that they're able to have a DH. Either abolish the DH, which they'll never do, or add it in the National League, which I don't know what's the, what's the weight. You're trying to keep the game pure. There's nothing about the game that's pure anymore. You got replay ruining the sport. You got interleague play every single night. Nothing is the same as it once was, so why keep that one little thing pure for the National League? And I love National League Baseball. I'm a purist. I wish it was 1985 right now, or 1986 for that matter. But it's not. So if you're going to have one rule for the American League and you have interleague, interleague play, it doesn't make sense. You have to have a universal rule when you're intertwining the two leagues every day. It's not fair, and it should not get overlooked. And this is not me crying as a Met fan. It's just the reality of the situation. Uh, could the Mets have taken on John Carl Stanton? I know what you're going to say. Sal, they're never going to take on that contract. Yeah, you're right. But let's say that they were willing to take on that contract, and they already had their team in place. How would they be able to do that? Again, they can't even find room for Brandon Nimmo when Conforto comes back let alone take on a guy who's going to be playing every day. In today's day and age where players don't even play 150 games, let alone 162, it is a great advantage. Forget about even adding a guy like Stan. It's a great advantage to be able to rest somebody in the DH spot. It can keep the teams healthier. They can add more uh, better players. And yet they're competing in the same... The same realm, basically. Technically, you could say it's the American League and then you have the National League, but ultimately they're competing for the one World Series. And they have to eventually play for it. Head-to-head. Again, with interleague play regularly. It's not fair. It's ridiculous. So between replay and between the stupid DH rule in one league and not the other, I'm fired up. I'm ticked off already. I'm supposed to be enjoying baseball. It's opening day. The Mets are 1-0. You're a Yankee fan. You get into that. They had a great day yesterday. Stanton hitting home runs everywhere. People are excited about Stanton today in batting practice with a home run. Ooh, wow, batting practice home run. I'd be more impressed with his first home run and his first at bat yesterday than anything else. Second one was a bomb, but it was off of Tyler Clippard. And I'll be honest with you, you give me 50 swings, maybe 100. Maybe I could take Tyler Clippard deep at this point in his career. But Stanton's certainly impressive. All good things in New York baseball, but the sport has a big-time problem with the lack of universal DH and the usage of Major League Baseball replay. 800 Just getting started in the sports zone. Take it on 9 o'clock. We'll talk to Mookie Wilson at 635 to get his thoughts on the passing of Rusty Staub and also on Gary Carter. SNY had a special uh, that aired last night after uh, opening day. It was on. I thought it was very good about Gary Carter, and I want to reminisce with Mookie Wilson, obviously his former teammates. We'll do that at 635. We'll do some college hoops as well. We'll talk some Yankees before they take on the Jays in Game 2 of their season so a lot to get to plus your next chance to win a thousand dollars coming up at 705 that's right here on 710 wr stay tuned for that as well it's salicata filling in for pete mccarthy in the sport zone the voice of new york 710 wor you're in the wor sport zone and for pete here's sal licata ah 
800 Well, let's assume that baseball is not, in fact, ruined by the lack of uh, competitive balance with the DH in both leagues or a replay. We have to, unfortunately, just look past it because it doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. I went back and watched the Yankees again this afternoon because I didn't have a chance to watch the full game yesterday. I sat and was locked into the Mets, obviously, and then I had to be uh, on a TV show and then on here last night, so I didn't really get to watch the entire Yankee game. So I did that um, this afternoon, and I think you come away very impressed with Luis Severino. Maybe he gets overlooked sometimes because of what happened at the end of last year into the postseason. But, I mean, he is nasty. It's like he's throwing wiffle balls up there. You want to have one uh, issue with him, maybe it's that when he's when he's off, he's a little high in the strike zone, and that could get beat, as we've seen him get beat a little bit in the past. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't look uh, the same as far as stature goes, when you, you look at, you compare him to, say, Syndergaard, who goes out there and has that dominating presence. Severino maybe doesn't have that, but he's got excellent movement on all his stuff, and he was terrific yesterday. And if he pitches like that, I mean, the Yanks are going to be fine. I don't think anybody expects the Yanks not to be fine, but there are some question marks about that starting rotation. And, you know, as long as you have the ace at the top with Severino, we'll see what Tanaka can do tonight. Again, uh, Yanks and Jays at 7.05. See what Tanaka can do tonight in Game 2 of their season. But they're pretty solid at the top with Severino. And then really, you know, like the Mets, and I always say with this with the Mets, you need Mats or Harvey to be that third guy behind Syndergaard and DeGrom. You know, you could have Sonny Gray or Tanaka, any of those two guys. Yeah, I'm not going to put Sabathia in there. You could put Montgomery as a three or four guy, but... Really, either Sonny Gray or Tanaka have to be the number two as of now behind Severino until the Yanks uh, eventually add, which they will do. We mentioned uh, briefly before Aaron Hicks injured. Uh, you know, Greg Bird has been injured. Maybe the Yanks are the one that uh, should be worried about injuries. I know nobody cares, really, or nobody's that concerned because they're so loaded everywhere else. And because of the Yanks need be, they'll go out and get somebody else uh, to play whatever position or fill whatever hole that they may need. But... Hicks, who had a terrific season last year, even though banged up, has had a history of being injured, so not a good start for him. Bird also has had a history of being injured and already going to miss the first six to eight weeks of the season, so maybe the Yanks' injuries could be a little bit of a concern. The other thing for me would be their pen. Now, Chad Green is as dominant as you can be. He looked terrific in yesterday's game. He was obviously great a year ago, um, so you don't worry about a guy like him. I know Canely was great last year, but I want to see him do it again this year. I still want to see a little bit more um, <clears throat> Excuse me, from him. Robertson, you know you could trust, and he is what he is. But yesterday, outside of Green, you got to the two guys who I think could potentially be the biggest question marks, and Batanza's got it going right away. The first batter he faced gives up a long home run. Remember, Batanza's was the best arm in that pen. He is he is the nasty one. He was the unhittable one when he's on. Yeah, he didn't have a lot of control at times, but last year it got to a point where the control wasn't even, I mean, the, the control was obviously a problem, but it was other stuff as well. And he could not be trusted. So here, Aaron Boone gives him work in the eighth inning. And first battery face gives up a home run. That's not a good sign. And Chapman came in and struck out two in his inning of work. So he looked pretty good yesterday. But I would be worried about the toll that has been taken on his arm over the years. Especially the year the Cubs won the World Series and Joe Madden. You know, some would say abused Eraldis Chapman. 
I would be concerned about the Yankee pen. Now, if, say, something does happen to Chapman or they don't trust Batances anymore, you know, he just never, for whatever reason, regains his form, Chad Green can, you know, get a, a better role. He'll pitch the eighth inning or whatever it may be, and Robertson can close games, and maybe Canley could be the guy, and maybe they'll go out and get somebody. But I don't think it should be taken for, uh, taken for granted that Batances and Chapman are going to be as great as they have been in the past. And look no further than last year. I mean, they're not they're not a given. And the Super Pen was built largely around those two guys. So that can change some things for the Yanks. I talk about the Mets having uh, a potentially uh, a Super Pen. And, you know, look, you look forward to seeing how that develops. Yesterday it was Gazelman who looked tremendous. Uh, Familiar looked pretty good. I know he walked one in his inning of work, but uh, he's got to regain form. It's going to take a while for us to trust Familia is back to his 2015-2016 regular season form. But I do think that if he does that, Ramos is going to be up and down all year long, but he's still at least a a plus arm. Swarzak had a clean inning of work yesterday. They have Blevins, you know, from the left side. They have at least four guys that you can trust to get out to the back end of the pen. And then you throw in Gazelman and Lugo, the two guys. You know, Lugo eventually will be back in the bullpen. No, maybe not. You know what? In my mind, he would be back in the bullpen. And at least toward the end of the season, he'll be back in the bullpen when it matters. But uh, there's a chance, I guess, when Vargas gets activated, that Lugo will go down to AAA and be stretched out or continue to be stretched out as a starter. So then you have, in reserve, you have both Wheeler and Lugo, which is a nice you know, backup plan in case somebody else goes down or underperforms in the starting rotation. But I would probably keep Lugo up here in the pen and have him spot start if needed, have him go long if needed, if somebody gets beat up. Him and Gazelman could be really, really big-time weapons for the Mets, which I think could eventually turn that into a super pen uh, themselves. One other note for the Mets today was that I guess I read somewhere, well, not I guess, I did read somewhere that uh, Noah Syndergaard said, watch out for Matt Harvey. Did you see this, Producer Mark? I think he wrote an article on The Athletic. Is that right? Uh, was it The Athletic or was it, um, I don't know, what's that? Uh, well, <laughs> you got to see Producer Mark's face right there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he wrote an article somewhere, and in in that article said something about watch out for Matt Harvey. Feels like Harvey is back to his 2013 self and that attitude. You know what? I'm not buying it. Nonsense. I'm not getting sucked in again. I'm not going down uh, that path and getting trapped by Matt Harvey. As much as I want to love Harvey, and I know that I'm not alone because I was one of the, what, 46,000 standing on my feet with my family in 2015 in Game 5 chanting, Harvey, Harvey. I loved Matt Harvey. You know by now, or maybe you don't know. I wrote a rap song about him and performed it, written and performed by yours truly. Uh, that was in 2015, before the season got started. I mean, I loved Matt Harvey. As much as you could love a, a player, that's how much I was in love with Matt Harvey. And I held out hope in 16 and 17. And, you know, thinking he would come back to what he once was. And I, I just can't anymore. He's not. And I know he pitched well this spring, but I'm not getting sucked in. At least he pitched pretty well. His ERA was awful, but he pitched better than than he used to or than he normally has uh, in in recent times. So people want to get behind him. Syndergaard coming out and saying that Matt Harvey could be back to the old days. I'm not there yet. It's going to take a lot more for me to buy in to Matt Harvey. I want to see it. I want to believe in Harvey. I want to be able to love him again. 
but I just don't buy it. And I'll tell you another thing. The Met fans still want to love Harvey. There's been a love-hate relationship with him, but you could tell yesterday by his ovation, the fans still want to love him because they haven't forgotten how special he was in the moments that he provided. What do you got, Producer Mark? It was on the Players' Tribune. The Players' Tribune. I get that confused with The Athletic. But I don't know why. I mean, I don't really read either one, but I'll follow along on Twitter and somebody will tweet something from those. So he's on the Players' Tribune with Syndergaard writing about how Matt Harvey is back. Hope that's the case. I doubt it, though. 800-321-0710, the number to call. Mets legend Mookie Wilson. When we come back, it's Salicata in the Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. All right, yesterday opening day, and the Mets had a great victory out at City Field, but it was, I don't want to say overshadowed, but there was definitely a somber tone to the day as we learned about the passing of Met legend Rusty Staub. To discuss more about that, we welcome in one of Rusty's former teammates and Met legend himself and my mom's favorite player ever, Mookie Wilson. Mookie, pleasure to talk to you. Hey, how you doing? Sad to be with you. Yeah, it's uh, great to have you on. I mean, I, you know, I grew up loving you too, but I will never forget you. My mom always Mookie, Mookie, Mookie loves it. <laughs> to this day, has the Mookie Wilson shirt. So you were always a favorite. Uh, like I'm sure many houses, you were a favorite in my home. Let's talk Mookie about the the sad uh, the sad news yesterday, the passing of, of Rusty Staub. Um, you you were teammates with him for about five years with the Mets when he came back for his second term with them. Give, give me a little insight to your relationship with Rusty. Well, Rusty, uh, I think Rusty was a friend um, to everyone. And, you know, everyone, everyone loved him. Um, he was, uh, you know, you know, a father figure to a lot of the guys. You know, we had a very young team when Rusty came back um, with the Mets, and um, he really was instrumental in helping us to mature, you know, and to play it into the, in, in the city and played into the big leagues. Um, you know, I, I've had quite a few conversations with him uh, about um, my approach you know, to facing, you know, certain particular pitchers and in, in, in approaching the game in a professional manner. And outside of that, I've had an opportunity to work with him since both of us retired, but, you know, on working in the community. And there's no more devoted guy, you know, to the community of New York and, and everywhere he's been. He's just been a, a great friend and a great um, associate to work with. Yeah, and so many guys, Mookie, some of your former teammates, whether it was Keith Hernandez or Ron Darling coming out talking about how they learned, you know, not just about the game, but about life from Rusty Staub. Did you have that type of relationship with him where you learned more? Forget about the game for a second. Anything in particular uh, about, you know, whether it's being in New York City or just any advice, life advice that he would have for you as a veteran player? Well, you know, that's the one thing that Rusty was really um, good at. You know, we knew he had a restaurant in New York for, you know, for years, you know, and our relationship, you know, really went way beyond just playing on the ball field, you know, um, because I think Rusty realized that, you know, at, at some point the game was exactly what we call it. It was a game, and there was more to it than then going on the field and, and playing. There was another side that was our responsibility as ball players, and I learned that from Rusty. I mean, as you know, he was very devoted to the – um, the, the families of the uh, policemen and firemen of, of New York. He had this, um, you know, event every year at Shea Stadium uh, that we attended. He was very, you know, very devoted to that, and he made sure that we understood what it was all about. 
So, yeah, he was very instrumental in helping me um, understand that my role in New York was more than just playing baseball. It's my obligation to the community. So Rusty was big with that with everyone he spoke with. Talking with Met Hall of Famer Mookie Wilson about the passing of uh, another Met Hall of Famer, Rusty Staub. You know, Mookie, one memory that stands out to me was 1986. You, I could go back and watch that video, uh, 86 years to remember. I, I've probably watched it 100 times. I could watch it 100 more. But was you guys celebrating Rusty Staub Day and everybody wearing those big arms orange wigs you have any any memory of that honoring your former teammate on rusty stop day in 86 uh yeah i yeah, how fun it was when when we asked the guys to wear the orange wigs you know you know and but now understand now we weren't the normal baseball team in 86 so we probably would jump at the opportunity to do anything that was crazy and out of norm but um everyone really loved rusty so much that they really jumped at the opportunity we didn't have a Problem finding guys to put on orange wigs. I mean, I didn't have one, but you know, but you know, the I remember watching Straw, which was the funniest thing in the world to watch Straw with that orange wig. I, I think of all the people that had them on, that was the most fun. But uh, it was a time when everyone really enjoyed, you know, being rusty for a day. Uh, it, it was a great time. Yeah, no question about that. Rusty Staub, a special player, and even more so, a special human being with all that he did, and it was sad to learn uh, about his passing yesterday on opening day. We're talking with Met legend Mookie Wilson. You know, Mookie, another thing I want to talk to you about today, I noticed you were part of the SNY special that aired last night, The Kid, a Gary Carter special, and, I mean, who better to talk uh, about Gary Carter than yourself? Now, one thing I thought interesting, and we've heard about it for, you know, for years, about how Gary Carter could rub people the wrong way, especially if you weren't teammates yeah. of his. Uh, what about Gary Carter bothered you before he became your teammate? Well, you know, I think the thing that um, we all had, you know, the wrong impression by Gary was that uh, we didn't think that he was genuine. I mean, you know, I mean, some guys probably wouldn't admit it now, but that was the biggest thing. It had nothing to do with him as a ball player because we all know what he was at a ball, as a ball player. But, you know, I, I think that you look for something on the opposing team not to like. And, and we just thought that no one could be that happy all the time. You know, everyone has a bad day. <laughs> you know, I have my share of them. But we never saw him in a situation where we thought he was just having a bad day. And we just thought that just wasn't normal. That just, just something wasn't quite right about that. And until he became a Met. Um, and even in his early days, with his first couple of days with the Mets were not very good. I mean, the guys still saw him as an expo. He was the guy from the other side. Um, but once we got to know him and we you sit back and say, hey, every day he really is the kid. This is what he is. It's one big kid in a grown man's body is what he was. And he showed it every day. And um, we thought about it. You know, we talked to some other players. We, we talked about it, and he was everything he was. And we said, well, what was it about Gary that we didn't like? And you come think about it. There was nothing about him that you, you shouldn't like. He was just a great guy. And I got to know him very well. I became very close with him. We had a lot more in common than I gave him credit for. And um, it actually makes us feel a little ashamed of ourselves for judging people that I don't know him. So this was the kind of relationship that – not only some of the Mets players had with Gary, but some of the players over the league had with Gary, but until they got to know him. And he was really a, a, a great guy. And we all had an opportunity to express that with him in his days when he was alive and, and walking among us and sharing dinner and lunch with us. 
Yeah, it's great that you had that opportunity to do, whether it's, uh, I'm sure, reunions back in, what, 2006 uh, out at, oh, yeah. uh, at Old Shea Stadium and all you guys were there. Mook, yeah, I, I've, look, I've, I've, obviously I watched it as a kid. I've watched the tapes. I've read books on it. You were there. You lived it. Uh, you know, Gary Carter was, you know, the straight guy on a team of of wild men and partiers and all those different things. Where did you lie in that group? I feel like you would be more along the Gary Carter stuff. I don't remember you getting caught up in the partying and all that nonsense. Where did you lie amongst that clubhouse? No, you know, I think that um, I think that's the one thing that Gary and I really did have uh, in common. Um, that our personalities were were very similar in, in that regards. He was probably a little more animated, you know, than I was. But we had some of the same values, and um, we we loved the team. Um, we loved New York, and we we loved the you know our teammates. Uh, we just you know learned to accept the players for what they were, which is something that we should have done <laughs> early in our careers. But um, that's what we had in common. So yeah, I, I think I will fit a little closer um, to. Uh, to Gary than I would to the other players. And I was a lot younger than a lot of the other players, by the way. So our age was probably more closer. And um, we both had families, um, very similar families. And and I think that would kept us, you know, uh, our relationship really grew because of that. So, yeah, I, I guess you can characterize me as a being closer to Gary than it would be the other guy. Was it difficult, whether it's for you or maybe even more so with Gary Carter, was it difficult being in the minority on that wild and crazy party team? Well, I, I think it was it was harder uh, for Gary um, because, you know, you know, people always define you by your past, whether it is deserved or not. And um, he had the burden of trying to fit in, but still... Um, stay true to who he was. So it was much, much, much more difficult for him. And how he navigated around all that craziness and still um, maintain who he was uh, is still amazing. You know, um, I was a little different because I was there when a lot of the players got there. So they were the new kids on the block, not me. So, <laughs> but in this situation, Gary was the new kid on the block. So he had a lot more to deal with than I had to deal with. Yeah, you were there before any of them. I mean, started your Met career in 1980. Uh, obviously, they make the trade for Hernandez in 83. They get Gary Carter aboard in 85. You know another thing I thought, Mookie, as I was watching that special? I didn't realize how many games you guys won in 84, in 85, in 87. I mean, man, under these new rules, yeah. anything could happen. You guys would have been a wild card team for sure, finishing second all those years with 90-plus wins. But it is no question. That was a great team, and... Uh, it, and I've been blessed enough to be able to be to to see the transformation of that club from the worst club in the league to the talk of the league, not just New York, but the league. And uh, it, was, it was just amazing to, to be a part of that and see how the team just progressed every year. It just got better and better. The confidence of the club got better and better. And um, it, I think it's one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of. And you're talking about the 84 and 85 team. I really thought that 85 was the year for the Mets. I really did. Um, but unfortunately, we, we fell a little bit short. We had a, a few little miscues there, um, close going down to the end. But other than that, um, 85 was probably the year um, that I thought that we should have been really in the mix of everything. But under the old rules, 
either was the first or he was last. That's yeah, right. was. <laughs> That's exactly right. First or last. And unfortunately, some of those good teams didn't get a chance to compete in the postseason. Yeah. We're talking about Met legend Mookie Wilson. Uh, I, how many times, Mookie, have you seen the clip? I just watched it again as, as I watched the kid, uh, a Gary Carter special that aired on SNY, so make sure you check that out. How many times have you seen the, uh, the at-bat uh, you know, with the wild pitch and the eventual uh, roller through Buckner's legs? Yeah, I've seen it uh, so many times. I, I, I quit counting, and but I'll be honest with you. Every time I see it, it it's really still amazing how it all just came together. Oh. I mean, from the beginning of the inning to the very end, um, I, I still get chills when I when I when I watch it. And you know, I sit there and I, I don't want anyone telling me anything about it. I just, I just want to see it all over again. And um, it's one of those moments where you just. You just do not forget. You never get tired of seeing it. I mean, even some movies, I get tired of seeing them over and over again. But this I can watch because it's never going to happen again. I mean, it's something that hasn't happened. It's, it's never going to happen again. And it was just one of those unique situations that the impossible actually happened. So it, it, it's a great. I've seen it way, way too many times for someone who actually was in it. Now, you know, people might even say, well, I'm a little bit full of myself watching. Well, okay, I'll take that. Yeah, right. And Hey, no, listen, <laughs> you should watch that as many times as you want and sign as many of those pictures, too. It gives me goosebumps to hear you talk about it. And look, it happened 32 years ago. And I was thinking as I'm, wa- yeah, as I'm watching it again today, I'm thinking, you know what, maybe, not that you want the Mets to lose and not win a championship in 32 years, but there's a reason why that team is still so special because all these years, that's the last team to win and the way you did it the way that I mean Gary Carter battled down to the final out final strike and then the base hit and then Kevin Mitchell and then Ray Knight and then you I mean it is I still can't believe like you said it doesn't matter how many times you watch it I still can't believe that it actually happened an all-time great moment gives me goosebumps and it's it's a pleasure to talk to you and, and relive those days 32 years ago you believe that Mook? I, it seems like we happened last year. I mean, I, I've been to quite, I've been to quite a few playoffs. I've been to World Series. I've watched them, and um, they are exciting. Um, but you still didn't get, I didn't get the feel um, that that series produced. And it's not just the series with Boston, even the series mm. with the Astros and NLCS. What an amazing series! I mean, that was truly, in essence, a very special. Series and I you know you can go back to any series. You can always pick out one point in a in a series that was like just unbelievable. But think about it. There were a lot of things that happened in the, in either one of those series that you can pick out and say, "Well, wow, how amazing was that?" But you know, it, it was it was just a great season to, to be in baseball, to be involved in baseball. And it was a great season, a big series to look back at. The video. Oh, by the way, I do have the videos to have all six games. All right. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You got to have that DVD set. All six games against the Strohs. Oh, yeah. You got the World Series, the seven games there. Hopefully, you get the parade, I'm sure, on tape. Uh, we're talking about I Met- got everything. Yeah. I we're, got everything. <laughs> we're talking about Mets legend Mookie Wilson. Uh, before we let you go, what are you up to nowadays? Are you following uh, the current team? Did you watch the Mets uh, opening day win yesterday? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm very cool. I'm still involved with the club. I'm, as you know, I'm in, um, team ambassador. I get an opportunity to go around and, and see some of the minor league players. But my main um, job is in New York. Uh, I still do uh, work at City Field and the suites where the season ticket holders and, um, you know, luxury bosses and stuff like that. And I get to see the ball games. And uh, um, I was there yesterday 
and what a game. What a game, I think. Uh, is, uh, I, I think it, people are excited about what the team, the potential of the team. And I think after last year with so many injuries, I think people are really excited to see what this team can really be when it's healthy. And um, I think that we can throw the ball with the best of them. We still have to catch the ball. There's no question about that. And um, on any given day, we probably can hit with the best of them. So health is the main thing. If we stay healthy, I'll take my chance. Mookie Wilson. Mookie, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. I love you. My mom loves you. She says to say hi. I mean, we loved you growing up. It is a pleasure to have you on the show and reminisce a little bit. Uh, hope to have you on at some point soon. We'll see you out at City Field. Thanks for a few minutes, Mookie. Hey, thanks for having me. Tell you, Mama, say hello. Yeah, all right, will do. Mookie Wilson, of <laughs> course, Met legend, 1986 champion, uh, all-time good guy. Fun to talk to him and reminisce about the Gary Carter special. You should check that out. I'm not sure when it re-airs, but just, I mean, come on, Google it. Check your DVR uh, on demand. The Kid, a Gary Carter special. Terrific job by SNY. You could relive uh, the special player and person that Gary Carter was uh, and relive all those great Mets moments. And, you know, obviously Mookie also talking about his former teammate, Rusty Staub and the passing of the, the great Met legend uh, yesterday on opening day. We'll take a quick break, come back with your calls, do some Mets baseball. We'll do some NCAA a little bit later as well. We'll talk to Kevin Kernan at 7.05 to get more into the Mets as well. A lot to do. It's Sal Akata in the Sport Zone, filling in for Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR.